Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. <laughs> good. Well, as Rob said, my name is Romero Lopez. Uh, I've been coming to Blue Mount now for about three years. Um, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about myself and my backstory. Um, I was, grew up Catholic uh, my entire life. Um, I got saved here uh, about a couple years ago with Rob. Um, Rob guided me through and got, you know, helped me get to know God and, and trust God. Um, throughout my life, I faced a lot of obstacles a lot of challenges that came in my life, a lot of people uh, trust, and people who broke the promises, the promises that were broken. Um, so, growing up, you know, um, I just a lot of things happened. You know, I was first generation born here. Um, my parents were from Mexico. Um, so that was like a big thing. Um, growing up, Spanish was my first language. Um, so growing up, and especially I grew up in Southwest Kansas, Holcomb, Kansas, a little small community, uh, predominantly white. Uh, so it was really hard going to school because all the kids would make fun of me because I didn't speak English. Um, and now, I mean, you can see me now. <laughs> I do speak English, so. And I also speak Spanish as well, so. Uh, but it was very difficult uh, doing that. Um, just the, all the kids would always make fun of me. Um, but I remember for one thing, my speech therapist, Mrs. Kyle, that she would always take me, um, like, I'd get frustrated or anything like that. And, like, you know, it, it would spring me to tears. But she would always take me by the hand. And she goes, Romero, like, I want to tell you something. I go, and she's like, do you know God loves you? And I go, no, I don't know that. And she'd always take my hand. She goes, he's loving you. He's always right here in your heart. And so just sitting that, like, it wasn't until years, many, many, many years later that I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, she was right. Um, um, again, facing a lot of obstacles um, growing up, you know, I, just, I was physically and sexually abused. Um, Facing all that put a lot of like, trust barriers for everyone I met, um, family members, friends, anything like that. Um, so that was really difficult for me. Um, and then going, going up, you know, my mom was a drug addict, alcoholic. She abandoned us more as little. And so, again, that put more barriers on me trusting people because, you know, <clears throat> saying that, you know, my mom doesn't love me, feeling worthless, all that stuff that I faced all the way till even today. But with the power of God, all that goes away. All the trust that I put into God every single day, it just, it's amazing how he works. Um, again, just facing, like, getting involved with this community, it's been amazing. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had a callous event, um, and we prayed. We were doing some prayers. And again, God was telling me, you know, trust in people. Trust in this community. Keep doing it. And keep, continue to trust in him. And uh, when I was in junior college or in even high school, I broke my leg twice. Um, so for a while, I've been walking around with this pain in my leg. And, and then we got there, and I told people, you know, how um, I was with like, Jacqueline and Richie and Dylan, and then just told them, hey, guys, can we pray for me? Like, you know, like, I want to trust you guys. I hear about this, you know, that God can help, you know, heal people. And so they prayed for me in my leg and my shoulder. And now, like, I have no pain in my leg at all. And so it's been amazing ever since. So. I just, again, just, <laughs> I ask you, you know, you got to keep trusting in God. And, and, and it's just amazing, you know, just the, how he works in, in just mysterious ways. <laughs> but, again, I just ask you guys, you know, just keep loving him. He will show you un- unconditional love. Because I've been chasing that love, and, and I filled it with, like, drugs and alcohol throughout my entire life. And then I was finally, like, you know, that, uh, that hole in my heart was still empty. But with God's love, like, it's been filled. You know, like, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have anxiety anymore. 
I don't have jealousy, anything like that. And just he's allowed me to become the man that I am now to show everyone love, everyone that I meet. So, but yeah, that's all I have. <laughs> All right, that's what it's all about right there. I kind of feel like we can go home now and, and call it good. That was great. Thanks, Ramiro, and so great to hear you know, the story. And Many of us in this room have stories of how and the ways God met us where we were at and what he has poured into our lives. And I'm so excited about the series we're doing and really kicking off this year. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jonathan Hupp. I get to serve as a pastor here with Bluemont, and very excited about this upcoming year, and, and really what we're looking at on, on Sundays, about the fact that God is enough for us individually and enough for the world. We're going to be looking both on a personal level and also at world issues and world events and how God and his kingdom has answers for the needs of the world. And today, it's, I, I don't think there could be a more fun or relevant topic than happiness. And, you know, everybody wants to be happy, right? If, I mean, that's just... If you really get down to what are people looking for in life, we all, we all want to be happy. And there are a lot of ideas and trails. Ramiro talked about some of those, you know, things that are presented in front of us is this is what will lead you to find happiness. The problem is, is that all those things fall short except for, except for God. And a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I watched a movie I'd been wanting to watch for a few years. It came out a few years ago, not to a lot of accolades. Uh, I don't know how many of you heard of it or saw it, but Hector and the Search for Happiness. You see that? It was kind of a, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting movie. And just to set it up, the, the main character in the story is a guy named Hector, and he's a psychiatrist in London. And Hector has this really a good life. He's successful in what he does. He's a psychiatrist. People come to him with their problems and their issues, and he's dispensing advice and medication to help them get on the right track. He has a beautiful girlfriend who they've been together for a while, and he's got a social network he's part of. He's got a success financially and lives in a nice place. And everything that should make you happy, you think, he's got. But he comes to the point of realizing that he doesn't have it. And it's really a a tough conundrum for him because he's a psychiatrist, and he's supposed to be helping other people be happy. And he realizes, first of all, what kind of brought him this realization is he realizes, I don't think I'm really helping anybody. Like, they just keep coming to me week after week after week with the same problems, and I'm not helping them. And I'm a fraud. Like, they're giving me their money, and I don't have anything that can help them. And that really led him to realize, and I don't even have that myself. Like, my life isn't together. I don't have what I'm looking for, so how can I help these other people? And there's something in that I think that really speaks to a lot of us, a a realization that when we stop back and, and, and sit down for a while, sometimes we realize, you know, everything's not going as well as I thought it should be going. I may be, you know, staying busy and have these outside things, but when I really look at it, there's something missing on the inside. And so Hector embarks on this journey to, he travels all over the world searching for happiness, and it's an interesting story. Um, not necessarily recommending everything, all of his conclusions, but it's a, a very interesting story and process he embarks on. And really, that is something that 
God has put in every one of our hearts. That we were made for a, a, sor- a sense of a fulfillment and life and vitality and something actually beyond happiness, of, of true joy. And we're going to look today at a story in, in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John where Jesus encounters a woman from the, the region of Samaria. This was actually a region that were kind of not in a good relationship with the Jewish people. But he passed through this region, and he had an interaction with this woman that led to her experiencing what she was really looking for. And not only her, but her, her whole community as well. And to the setting of the story is Jesus and his 12 disciples were traveling from up north where they were hanging out, where they were from, to Jerusalem in the south, and they passed through Samaria. And as the Bible says Jesus was tired and worn out from his journey. And so he went into the town, and he sat down by the well, and his disciples went in to, to get some food. And they were going to get some and bring it back to him. And so we pick up the story here. I'm just going to read. This is a little bit longer section than we sometimes do on, on Sundays. But we're going to read through this story, talk about it a little, what it points to about God being enough for us in the, the, the search for happiness. And, and then we're going to talk about some takeaways from that or how we can get in on it too. So we pick up in, in John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It's interesting, this maybe doesn't strike us as much, but it was not normal for a Jewish man to talk with a Samaritan woman. There was both a gender difference that was very much accentuated in this culture and also a cultural difference where Jews didn't interact with Samaritans. And and, and men and women also were separated. So Jesus really broke through those, those divisions, that distance, and took the initiative to reach out to her. And that's huge because that's what he does with us as well, is that even sometimes when we think we're reaching out to him, it's really he's the very one that's put something in our heart that's drawing us to him. And so the woman reacted in verse 9. It says, the, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. All right, this, this is one of Jesus kind of like going zen on us a little bit. Right? He's, he's just first asked for water, and she's like, hey, why are you asking me for water? And then he points to something more. He says, hey, this is water, and you know, that's good. But if you knew who I was, you would realize that I've got something much better than this water. It's living water. And we're going to talk more about what that, what that means. But it's something that's a source of life, a source of vitality that's beyond physical water. And if you knew who I was and what I got, you'd be asking me for some of that. You'd be going, i got to get me some of that. Help me out. Give me some of that living water. So, verse 11 says, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You know, I I like the Bible, because it's it tells stories about real people like me and you. And here Jesus is offering her something huge, living water. 
Something beyond this whole realm that she's living in. But she's a little slow to figure out what's going on. Kind of like me and you. A lot of times we're like, man, if I could just, this problem is the problem in my life. If I could just have 200 more dollars, man, all my problems would go away. Or whatever it is. You know, we think that if I could just get a girlfriend, man, that would be it. And then I'd be happy. You know, whatever it was. And Jesus is like, you know, I got something better for you. But like, we're a little slow to connect that there's something better that he's talking about here. And uh, verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. All right, so he's breaking it down for her. I'm not just talking about this H2O stuff, but I got something for you. God's got something for you that it's living water. And if you get that, it is not just something you drink and then you get thirsty again, but there's like a spring. Like when you see a spring, it's, there's water bubbling up from somewhere. You don't know where it's coming from, really. It's coming from underground, but it just keeps flowing. And Jesus says, I want to put something in you that's like a spring. It's a life. It's a living water inside of you. And it leads, it's, it, 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 it wells up to eternal life. And if you, I did a little word study on you know, eternal life. What is this talking about? A lot of times when we hear eternal life, we immediately jump to the idea of, okay, Jesus is going to give us something that means that after we die, we'll go to heaven. And you know, that is true, but that is not the full picture of what he's talking about here. He's saying, I'm giving you a quality of life that is so great that it will last forever. That it will last even after you die. But you don't have to wait till you die to experience it. It's kind of like, you know, something that lasts forever. It lasts a long time. It says something about the quality of what it is. I, a few years ago, at the end of the school year, we had a call to greatness end of the year party at our house. And the highlight of this party was we played live Fruit Ninja. And this was pretty incredible. All right, so we, I think it was a you, Aja? Or no, it was someone else. We, we went to a grocery store and got a bunch of a fruit that was, you know, beyond its shelf life. You couldn't sell anymore. So we had cantaloupe and peaches and bananas and oranges and just all this older fruit. And we got these big swords. And we went in the front yard. And literally, people got a turn. You got a sword and you lob fruit at you. And you got to try to hack it in the air and smash it to pieces. And it was one of the funnest things I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, this, this, was, this was so great. But afterwards... As you can imagine, there was quite a mess. There were just like, you know, fruit shards all over our yard. And the, we, you know, we picked it up. At, it was funny, like a month later, there were just little plants growing up all over our front yard. And there we had little peach trees and cantaloupe plants and all this stuff. And we kept, it was like for the next year. And we, we kept pulling these weeds. But what was even more long-lasting than that is, you know those little plastic stickers that are on fruit? You wouldn't believe how many of those we would find in our yard. And then, like, we took all this stuff, and we have an area where we compost, and it's next to our garden, and so we put it in the compost, and then eventually that compost was in our garden. And it's been 
over four years, and to this day, I still find those little plastic stickers <laughs> in our garden and around our yard. It's like, oh, there's another one. I thought we got rid of them. But they're like eternal. Like there's something about those little, those little stickers that I don't, that plastic, I mean, it's an amazing thing that it has qualities that because of how it is made, it endures and it lasts. And it's still, I mean, you could wash that sucker off and stick it back on another fruit. Like it still would look pretty good. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I want to put something in you. It's the quality of eternal life, that there's something so vital in it, something so powerful that it's going to last. And you don't have to wait till you die, but you can partake of that right here and right now. And so every time you hear eternal life in the future, you can think about one of those little stickers. That's, that's what it's like. Verse 15 Back to our story. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, I think Jesus was touching something in her heart. And she's like, wow, that sounds really good. I I need some of that. She said, there's, you know, my life is not all that it's cracked up to be. And I'm missing out. Would you give me this eternal, this living water? And there's, you know, there's something about the humility that's involved in that, of admitting that we don't have everything. That a lot of times what keeps us from experiencing more of God is not realizing that we don't have everything that he wants us to have. If we're self-sufficient, then we miss out on the more that God has for us. But she was in a place of saying, hey, I want that. Give me that. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) One of the funny lines in Scripture. (laughs) Like, you know a little more of my life than I told you about. There's more going, there's something about you. You must be a prophet of God. And, but if you step back, it's like Jesus is on the brink. He's saying, hey, I get, there's something more. There's living water. There's an eternal source of life that I have for you. And she says, I would like that. And then Jesus does one of his unexpected moves. And he says, go call your husband. And then you find out that he knows she doesn't have a husband. And he knows that she's had five husbands, and she's living with a guy right now that's not her husband. And you're like, you should ask yourself, why did he do that? Why didn't he just tell her what she needed to do? Why does she need to involve this whole man issue? Muddle, you always muddle the waters when you get men involved. Let's just keep it, keep it clear. <laughs> but I think the reason is, is that if you look at this woman's history, it's pretty obvious that she had been looking to men for something. She had been looking to a man to fulfill her. She had been looking and thinking that the right man, the right husband, that that was going to be the thing that, that did it for her. And one, by one, by one, by, that didn't work out. But she was still in that place. That was what the Bible, she, men for her were what the Bible calls an idol. Which is an idol is anything besides God that we are looking to to fulfill us 
to complete us, to make us happy. And Jesus knew that in order for her to receive the living water, the true source of happiness that he had for her, she was going to have to let go of the idol. She was going to have to let go of the thing that she'd already been looking to. Because you can't hold on to that and then grab on to something else that God has for you. It's kind of like there's in some cult, in some nation, or some places in the world where they have, where they catch monkeys. There's a, one way of catching monkeys where you, you, uh, put the, you put a nut like on the other side of a bar, of bars, and the monkey reaches out and grabs that nut. And then he tries to pull his hand back through the cage, through the bars, and when he is holding that with his fist, he can't slide through because his hand's too big. And the monkey will actually stay in that place trying to get free without letting go of the nut that it wants. And a lot, and so people come and they trap it and catch it. And a lot of times we're like that. Like we're holding on to something that's the very thing that's causing us to be captured, to be enslaved. And until we release it, we can't come free and come into what God has for us. And so Jesus, he loves us enough to put his finger on, hey, let's, let's deal with this issue in your life that you've been looking to, that you've been trusting to be your God that you've been putting more trust in than, you're, than you put in me. The woman goes on and says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that's in Jerusalem. That Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And so the woman realizes, okay, there's a spiritual dimension going on here. You're, you're a prophet. I've got a, I've got a spiritual question. We, you Jews say you're supposed to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple on that mountain, Mount Zion. We worship here on this mountain right here. And what's the right answer? And Jesus says, well, it really isn't about where you worship. And a lot of times we get stuck in, well, which church do I go to? Or how do I do this or that? But ultimately it's not about church or religious practices or any of that. But he says it's about your worshiping God in spirit and truth. It's about an authentic place of worship and an authentic relationship, personal relationship with God. That that's what God is after. That's what, that's what he's looking for. And the woman goes on. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So the woman had an expectation. There was a promised Messiah, a promised Savior, Christ, that God was going to send. And she had a sense that when he comes, that's going to answer all these questions for us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, that's pretty incredible. If you can imagine that, that situation right there. Her whole life, she's grown up with these stories. And someday there's going to be a Messiah coming. And she just goes to draw water at the well. And this man tells her, hey, I'm the one. I'm right here looking at you, eyeball to eyeball. And that's, that's how Jesus comes to us, too. 
He gives us, hey, I'm the one. And it may seem unbelievable. It may seem like, how could that be? How could Jesus, how could God, like, I can't even see you. Like, it doesn't seem tangible. How could you be the source of life? But God says, hey, I am the one. I am he. Um, Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Again, so the disciples came back and they brought him some food. And remember, Jesus had been hungry, he'd been tired. And they bring him some food, and then Jesus gives one of his Zen sayings again here. Like, wait, no, I, I got food to eat that you don't know about. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we, we just he sent us to get food. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? But Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. First, Jesus was talking about a living water to this woman that's a source of life. That's different from what we would expect. And now he's talking about a food, something that nourishes us, something that gives us strength and energy that's, again, not something tangible, not something you can see. He says, I get strength and energy. I've just had this. I've been doing God's work while you've been buying food. And I actually, I don't really feel like I need that food right now because I got something. I got nourished from God as I was involved in in the work of God. Do you not say, there are yet four more months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. And so he lays out, explains, like, hey, there's a, God is, there's a harvest in the world. There are there is a harvest ready for people to come to know God. And that is the work that God is about, and that's the work that I'm about. And as I do that, there is something so fulfilling and life-giving as I join myself with God in what he's doing. In verse 39, it goes on and says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So here, not only the first Samaritan woman, but her whole community, came to put their trust in Jesus and who he was and to experience the life that he had for them. And that's really what God has for us, that God presents this eternal life, this living water to us that he wants us to experience. And it comes from from God, and it comes from trusting God. And I want to just kind of transition here to looking at, okay, how how do we get it? How do we get in on 
this, this unexpected source of happiness that God has for us. And it's really in what we just looked at, but I'm just going to kind of break it down here for us as we, as, as we turn the corner here. And the first thing is trusting in God involves not trusting in other things. Or another way to say that is trusting in God involves turning from our idols. And we talked about that with the Samaritan woman, and her idol was, was men. Her idol was a relationship with a man. That's the thing that's going to make me happy. We talked about the, the monkey and the thing it holds on to. But, you know, there is something. In, in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, the Apostle Paul writes to people who had believed in Jesus, and it says, you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. There is a, a huge human propensity for idols, to worship idols. And we, in our culture, we don't think about usually statues or the things that we bow down to or offer incense to, but our human hearts still, as the old song says, are prone to wander. We're prone to look to something else besides God to fulfill us, to be our source of happiness. In Jeremiah 2.13, God is speaking, and he says, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns. Those were like storage places for water. They've dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. They're saying not only it's, it's connected, they've, you've turned away from me, and you've looked to something else to be the source of water, the source of life for you. And our idols can be so many things. You know, they can be a relationship. They can be romance. They can be success. They can be money. They can be material things. All the things that we look to, to put our trust in. The reality is, we were made to worship. And we're going to worship or put our trust in something. It's going to be something or God. It's just a question of what it is. And the interesting thing is, idols are usually not bad things. They're usually good things. You know, I mean, God, and the thing about this world is that God has made a world with a whole lot of good things. And made good things that we can make good things out of. I mean, last night I was I was sitting about 9:30 at night, kind of thinking about making, you know, going over the notes for today, and I had the thought, you know, a Twinkie sounds really good. And we had, we don't usually have Twinkies at our house, but Reagan, my wife, bought Twinkies for the start of the school for our kids' lunches, and I was like, man, I want a Twinkie. That sounds great. And so I went and I got a Twinkie and I ate it, and. I'm glad I did. That was a good thing. You're like, why are you talking about your Twinkie? But, man, it's not that there aren't good things in the world. God has put so many good things in the world. The problem is that we take those, those good things and we put our trust in them. You know, if I started worshiping that Twinkie or thinking that's going to make me happy, you know, that would be a problem. But that's kind of what we do about th- with things. Last week, my wife... Reagan and I, were, we had dinner with some good friends of ours. They're from India. And we really, really love this couple. They've, we've known them for probably three or four years since they came here. And they're both just brilliant in their field. They're both, uh, he's a postdoc at K-State now, and she's getting her Ph.D., and just incredibly brilliant. They've, between them, they've written more than 50 articles and a couple books, and, and it's just amazing. Um, but as we were talking... We started talking about meat. You know, we were eating different. We were eating at the Thai restaurant, and of course, they're they're Hindus, and so Hindus don't eat a lot. Most of them, a lot of 
Muslim don't eat meat and certainly don't eat beef. And we've had this conversation before. And so the woman of the couple started talking about, yeah, cows. They're just, cows are a divine animal. They take so little and they give so much. All they take is grass. And they give milk and they give leather and they give, and I thought, yeah, there are a few other things they give too that I like that, you know, you don't appreciate. But it was, <laughs> it was interesting because, again, and I, I love this couple, but her eyes, she's this brilliant scientist, but her eyes kind of glazed over. And she's talking about a cow and ascribing to it these attributes of divinity. Like, wow, there's something about this cow that is so incredible, and so you, you just want to honor that. And in India, literally, you know, for centuries, people have lived in a whole lot of poverty, but yet there are cows walking around that you don't dare mess with them. And that's what our idols do to us. They keep us from the abundant life that God has for us. And we, we look at them, and we do that. Our eyes glaze over. Like, we get weird like that about whatever our, our idols are. And we think, oh, man, you know, whatever it is, we, we attribute to that something that it can never do for us. And it's not that it's not a good thing. It's, it may be a good thing. In its, in its right place, it's a good thing that God made for us to enjoy. But it's when we tr- put our trust in it and make it God, that's when it's an issue. All right. We may think that, hey, well, that's, you know, if you're a Christian, you know, that's not really an issue for Christians. Well, you know, I hate to break it to you, but we still have those tendencies. Uh, John wrote in the, the book of 1 John, he, he's writing to believers, and he said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because it's so easy for us, even after we put our trust in Jesus, to look to something else to be our source. So the first thing we've got to do is recognize our idols and turn from them. The second thing we need to get in on the, the happiness, the life that God has for us, is trust in Jesus. And you know, we've been talking about this, but we turn from whatever else it is and Put our trust in Jesus. And that's what we need. St. Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. And Jesus, in a couple of chapters later in the book of John, John chapter 7, verse 38, he was talking and he said, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, whoever is trusting in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he goes back to that living water analogy. And he says, but the way to get in on it is the one who believes in me. The one who trusts in me and the work that I've done on the cross and with my resurrection. And says, I'm not trusting in my own works anymore. I'm not trusting in my idols anymore. But I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus, for my life. To take away my sins and give me life. That's where our life comes from. And it's interesting that when the Bible talks about believing, it's always in the present tense. It doesn't say, whoever believed in me will experience eternal life. Although there's, there's a truth to that. You know, it's, only, it's a one-time commitment to entrust your life to Jesus. But to experience the life that he has, it's always in the present tense. It's always a question, am I trusting in Jesus right now? And you know, it's, it's interesting that the difficulty for that is that it doesn't, you know, when we're, when we're lonely, when we're empty, when we're struggling... The idea of trusting in Jesus doesn't seem real. It sometimes doesn't seem tangible enough. It feels like something else is going to be the thing. And in 
And I was thinking about that, the movie, Hector and the Search for Happiness, that at the end of it, he realized that, wow, he had this girlfriend back in London who was willing to, she was willing to marry him if he would just ask her. And, but he just wasn't sure if he wanted that. And he realized, wow, she's right there, and she's the one I want. And she's been right under my nose. But I, I was oblivious to, to what, she, you know, what she really was. And you know, I'm not saying that finding the right spouse will make you happy. That was part, kind of the message of the, that movie. But it's kind of like that with God, that he is right there. But sometimes it's, it's hard for us to realize that he's the one that we need to trust in. And so we turn from idols, we trust in Jesus. And the third thing is join with God. We find his life as we join with him in what he's doing. When the Samaritan woman realized, or started to realize who Jesus was and what he had, she got her friends. She told the whole community. And they came, and they readjusted their whole schedule, and they hung out with him for a couple days. They were like, wow, the Messiah, this might be the Messiah. He's here. We're going to like put down what we're doing, and we're going to get where he is and join with him. And that was a prerequisite to them coming to believe and experience what God had for them. And the same thing is true for us, that we experience what God has for us as we realign our lives and join with him in what he's doing. It's, we also, you know, that's what Jesus said that he was doing. He said, hey, I've got food that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm finding out what the Father is doing. What is God doing in the world today? What does he want to do? What is he doing in my community? What is he doing in my dorm or my classes or my workplace or my family? Or God, what are you doing? Okay, how can I join in with what you're doing? And as we join in with that, there is an incredible life that we experience as well. So I trust that gives you something to chew on, something to think about. You know, really, this may apply to, to us in different places, but I, I want to ask you today, what, what are you looking to for happiness? What are you looking to for life? Have you come to know and believe that Jesus is the source of life? Are you believing in him right now? Putting your trust in him? And are you joining with him? And seeing, God, what are you doing in the world? What are you up to? And how can I join in with you in that? And I, I'm going to pray and just ask that God would help us to, to respond in the way he wants, he, he wants us to. And as I do that, the worship team is going to come on up and we're going to, uh, we're going to sing another song as we reflect on this as well too. So let's, let's pray together and worship team, you can, you can come on up as we do that. Jesus, Thank you so much today that you come to us. Thank you that you have eternal, infinite life. Well, thank you that you've made it available to us through your death, through your resurrection, through coming to us. Lord, I just trust you that you would help us to... to to believe in that, to believe in you, and to walk that out. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.